Welcome to She Breeds, where the goal of every podcast episode is to inspire and empower women to up-level and lean in to the best versions of themselves. I hope you enjoy. Happy February, friends. I always like this short little month between cold, cold January and unpredictable March. My friend, Jessie Stone, who is a journalist, yoga instructor, and holistic wellness coach, and will be a guest on the podcast next week, um, she put something really cool in her newsletter. Um, She and I actually are two of the three founding members of Rumble, which is a weekly progressive newsletter for women that we created in August of 2020. And she also publishes her own newsletter. And this week, she wrote of Imbolc, or St. Brigid's Day, which was on February 1st, and it marked the halfway point between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. And so the way she put it is, it's the early spring, or the early urging to begin awakening from hibernation and preparing for more light and energy. It's currently still chilly outside, but those signs of spring will be here before we know it. Um, as I've said before, each month I'm loosely focusing on a theme. It's not hard and fast, but most episodes for the month will be centered around this specific theme. So in January, I focused on purpose, energy, manifestation, and healthy living in an attempt to encourage my listeners to begin the year on a high note and a high vibe, and with the goal of leaning into the highest version of themselves. So in February, I plan to focus on relationships, and not only relationships with others, but also the ever-important relationship with ourself, and even the relationship with the spaces in which we live. So that's going to be really fun. Um, so the first, this first episode, I am going to talk about the coming together and falling apart of relationships, <laughs> and it's it, it's not as sad as it sounds. You know, not every relationship is meant to last forever, and but every relationship does have this sort of arc. And um, if it is a relationship that you want to last long term, uh, toward the end we're going to talk about ways to do that. But if we've all had relationships that have fallen apart or yeah fallen apart or ended and when you think about it they've all gone through these phases that I'm about to talk about Um, when I look back on the romantic relationships that I've had most of them have had two things in common one I felt like I needed it like I felt like I had to have this other person in my life to survive I seem to always have boyfriends and it just or like long-term boyfriends like I had a long-term, I had a long-term boyfriend. I was a freshman, sophomore in high school. Then I had another long-term boyfriend my junior, senior year. And then I had a boyfriend all throughout college. And it just, I always felt like I needed this other person for security and safety. And, and in any way, later as I got older, I realized that that was actually a disconnection with myself. It wasn't that I needed them at all. And I also felt like in retrospect, I probably put a lot of pressure on them to be these things for me, perhaps that I actually could have been for myself. Um, So that was one thing. And the second thing was that I was often more concerned with them feeling okay and them feeling happy than me feeling okay. And that always comes to a head. Whenever you're in a relationship where you're more concerned with the other person feeling okay and safe and happy, then there's going to come a point where you all of a sudden wake up one day and you say to yourself, 
wait a minute, what about my needs? And it's not their fault. It's no fault of theirs because you kind of shielded your own needs from them so that they felt okay and they didn't feel too burdened. Um, so those were definitely two things that I pretty much did in almost all of my relationships except until the one I'm in currently because I think after a long, long time of going through relationships and you know, very important relationships ending, you realize it's not worth it. You might as well just be yourself going into it and take care of yourself fully. And then if the other person likes it, great. If it's too much for them, oh well. Um, you know, I'm learning that when people are really comfortable with themselves, they don't necessarily need a partner at all times. Or relationships feel more fulfilling and less needy because, you know, we're all confident in ourselves and we're not like too, you know, um, dependent on this other person. So, I mean, yeah, it's fun to have someone to experience life with and make memories with, but that's a totally different thing than feeling like you need the person to depend on or someone else to make sure that you feel like, you know, you're worthy. So, um, yeah, so Matthew and I have been together over five years, and I definitely would say I feel more secure in this relationship than I have in any other relationship. And I'm pretty confident to say that he feels that way as well. And the reason for this is that we're fully ourselves with one another. We're not trying to be someone different to appease the other person. So good or bad, annoying or exciting, we just are who we are. And it took many decades for me to realize that this is what it takes for a relationship to feel full and authentic. So I'm working, I'm working really hard to teach my children this early on. You know, there's that silly phrase, happy wife, happy life. And I always tell my boys that that's a horrible way to spend a life with someone. So instead of happy wife, happy life, I tell them happy you, happy life. Because, I mean, honestly, when we're happy with ourselves and we're happy with our choices and our purpose in life, everything else will naturally fall into place. When we are shining brightly and leaning into our highest selves, our husband or wife or partner or whomever will automatically feel that they can be that way as well. So it has nothing to do with happy wife, happy life, because that just goes back to what I used to try to do, which is make the other person happy so that I feel happy, and that 100% does not work. So do not use that phrase with people because it's... It's just, no, don't do it. Um, so my bachelor's degree is in psychology. So my original career was in the field of psychology and I continue to be completely intrigued with the human mind and social development and evolution and all those things. And so even though I am a journalist and a writer now, I still am very, very curious about psychology. And in the novels that I write, I definitely, there's always a psychological component, not, not like a psychological um, thriller, but like more of there's just always a psychological component woven in, whether it's what's going on in the plot or something related to mental health or etc. But I don't know, maybe I will write a psychological thriller at some point, but that's, that's what I'm doing right now. So I love learning about different models and theories when it comes to psychology. And one of them that I find very interesting is NAPS stages of relationships or NAPS relational model. And if you wanna read more detail about the theory, there's plenty of information online. But for the purposes of this podcast episode, I'm going to give you some cliff notes and then move on to the part about relationship building and maintaining. So the relationship doesn't fall apart unless you want it to. And then I think you'll you'll see why it probably is falling apart. And so in Knapp's model of relationships, there's essentially a coming together phase when the relationship is sort of building. And then there's a falling apart phase where the relationship is 
dissolving. And so after I go through these, we're going to talk about the relationship maintenance part. And it also helps, I think, to have a relationship in mind as I talk about these phases. Um, maybe it's a relationship you're currently in. Maybe it's a relationship that you had and ended up dissolving. And you can sort of think back on that as I go through the phases and think, oh yeah, well, I remember that happening and I remember that happening. Um, so a lot of times knowledge is power. So just even knowing that a relationship's going to kind of go through these phases and sort of hit some of these roadblocks can actually help your relationship be stronger going into it. All right, let's get into it. Let's start with a coming together phase. So the first stage of this is the initiation. So this is when first impressions are made, and although they may be inaccurate, they may significantly influence whether the individuals want to continue in the relationship. In romantic relationships, this may be that, you know, that love at first sight type of feeling, or it, it, it's, it's highly affected by the way the person looks and sounds and smells and sort of all the things that affect our five senses. And so that's the initiation phase. We see them, we think, oh, you know, some, there's something about him or there's something about her. So that would be the initiation phase. And just so you know, a lot of these sort of physical attributes are very influential for both men and women. That's what the studies say. So next is experimentation. So once there is a physical interest, the two parties begin exploring about one another and learning for common interest. So this is kind of when you say you have conversations like, um, what are some of your hobbies or what are your, some of your favorite movies? What musicians do you like? And this is also when you kind of like, oh, do you know such and such? Oh yeah, I met them like we used to work together. Or this is that whole phase where you're really trying to find some basic common interest and common ground and common acquaintances. And so that's experimentation. So third, okay, so we've got the initiation, the experimentation, and now we're moving on to the third phase of coming together, which is intensifying. So now that the two of you realize that you're attracted to one another and you have some things in common, you begin sharing more personal things about one another. So this may be personal stories or things about your family and the interactions become a little less for, a little yet less formal and more informal. Um, this phase, you know, oh, this this is also when you begin to give gifts to one another, and you offer declarations of affection, and there may be some advances for further intimacy, and you become more, you know, physical with one another, holding hands and what else, whatever else. And I always find it so funny how early on in relationships, um, gifts are so thoughtful and they're just so like sweet and the cards are so heartfelt and then later on after you've been together many years you know you say things like hey instead of buying gifts this year do you want to just buy a new mattress or can you buy me a walk in a dutch oven for christmas so i can spend my own money on a massage and so these are things i've actually said to matthew just wanted to throw those examples out there but um, I will say that we, he and I have both done very well with gifts throughout the years and a lot of our very special gifts that we gave each other, probably during the intensifying stage, um, are all over our house and they're very meaningful. So I do love that really special gift giving period, but I will say that as relationships move on, those don't happen quite as often. 
Okay, so number four in this coming together phase is integration. Now, remember, we're still coming together. So this is when the two people begin to integrate their two lives into one. So this may mean meeting each other's families. It may include developing a sexual relationship or the disclosing of shameful secrets. Even though, you know, and I just remember these phases so well with Matthew, but there's, this is the phase where you kind of start to tell each other things that maybe, you know, you, you don't, you kind of feel guilty about or you're ashamed of or they're not your best moments in your life and you tell one another and that's really like a vulnerability that comes along in the coming together phase. Um, and then the final stage of coming together is bonding. So at this point, um, the couple is fully bonded. You know, they may even formalize it through a marriage or buying a house together. And, you know, this is when you just feel happy and when you're in this bonding phase, you feel like we're gonna be together forever, like we feel so solid, there's nothing that can tear us apart. And this is kind of where you hit the peak of the coming together phase. So according to Knapp, um, all relationships go through these. Some, are, some go through them more quickly and some go through them more slowly. But a lot of people um, love this, especially the intensifying phase where it feels very, like this is sort of like the honeymoon phase where it just feels like I'm on cloud nine, this is amazing. Like I can't imagine anything tearing us apart. We are like just bonded for life. Um, but anyway, it's really cool. And you need these, you need these coming together phases to have the strength to to get through some of these things that are gonna happen in the falling apart or to not allow these things to happen in the falling apart phase. All right, so just to recap before, before we move on to the coming apart phase, um, when you're coming together, you have that initial initiation where you meet each other and then you do some experimenting as far as, you know, what are your interests? What are your interests? Do you know such and such? Then there's the intensifying, which is the honeymoon phase and where you become more intimate and you are gift giving and you're declaring your love for one another and then you go into um, integration where you're meeting each other's families and you're having really deep conversations and these are those late nights where you talk into the night and share all kinds of things about one another and then you move into the fully bonding phase where you getting married moving in together and that's where the coming together kind of stops and so all right next we're going to get into the coming apart phase into the coming apart phase I feel like Knapp could have called this something else because it sounds just so detrimental like the coming apart phase but whatever some of these psychologists I don't even know how old he is but some of these theories have been around for a very long time and they're just very straightforward with the titles but anyway the first stage of coming apart is called differentiating so after you've been bonded for a while and you've been living together and just together and bonded you start to feel a little pressure. You start to feel the pressures of living together and being closely joined in every way. And the, and the two of you start to pull apart a little bit as the demands of different jobs, different interests, different even, even different eating patterns, different exercise regimens, you know, different viewpoints on life and future goals. You may even have very different friend groups or very different religious backgrounds. All of these things didn't seem like a huge deal in the intensifying in the in the phase and the bonding phase because you thought, oh, we can work these things out. It's fine. But now that you've been bonded for a while, they start to come to light and you start to feel a little bit a little bit of pressure. Um, so this is called differentiating. And 
you know, that high that you felt at the beginning was bound to end at some point. And so, you know, this is when the two people are reminded that, oh goodness, we're actually separate individuals with separate interests and goals, and this is gonna get tricky. So um, this is differentiating. Next is something called circumscribing. And so as you continue to pull apart and focus on your own life, um, you know, you begin to set boundaries with one another. And this can feel very uncomfortable. So this may be something like, I don't want to go hang out with your friends. They make me, I don't, I don't enjoy hanging out with them. Or it may say something like, I haven't been going to church because you, um, you know, you don't have a spiritual component to you. So I am going to start going to church now. That is something that's important to me. Or it could be something like, um, I do not like when your mother just stops by unannounced. So from now on, she needs to text us before she stops by unannounced. So early on, these were things that didn't really matter because you were so madly in love with the person. And now it's all of a sudden, they're starting to make you feel very uncomfortable. And um, these are a boundary creation. And it's, again, boundaries always feel a little bit uncomfortable, especially when you've been so tightly knit. And then all of a sudden, it's kind of like, oh. So in this phase, there can also be some limited communication and interaction, and or your communication interaction becomes kind of shallow and superficial. So this is the stage where, you know, arguing can get kind of heated or things can become a little bit toxic. Um, so circumscribing, it's not, this This isn't a bad thing because building boundaries is a good thing, but they just haven't been set before now because you've been so consumed with falling in love that you haven't thought about um, creating boundaries. So circumscribing. All right, next is stagnation. So at this point with the relationship, one or both people start to feel a little trapped. Like, oh goodness, like I'm not feeling like I, I once did in this relationship. I'm feeling stuck. I'm feeling suffocated, um, you know. And so at this point, emotional and physical separation can start happening in, in very real ways. Sometimes this is just one person who's feeling like this and then the other person starts leaning in further and then the first person feels even more suffocated. So this is also a very uncomfortable phase. Um, when both people start to feel stagnated, you know, both people start to pull away and it becomes a very awkward, tense relationship. And in many couples with children, this is the phase where they just basically stay together for the kids and it starts to feel like the kids become the focal point. There's no connection between the two adults and it just, everything feels very stagnant. So the next phase is the avoidance phase. And here, the two people begin to see each other less and less. They actually find ways to not be around one another. They deliberately avoid contact. So this may be when you know that your partner is going to be home at 4.30, that is exactly when you go take a spin class at the gym because you don't want to be around them because it's so uncomfortable. Um, and so, and this is interesting, when working to avoid one another, the first thing to go is eye contact. So even if it's, even if you're in the same room a lot of times, um, when you're in the avoidance stage, the two people are very tense and you can just feel that their energies are discordant. I mean, I've noticed this with other people when they're going through the avoidant phase, they don't look at each other, they don't talk to each other, it's extremely uncomfortable, not just for them, but for everyone else in the room as well. And then, after avoidance, after avoidance, we move to termination. Dun dun dun. So finally, it gets to the point where it's just so miserable for the two people that they pull apart completely and decide to end the relationship. And so, for people with shared assets or a marriage or children, this is extremely heartbreaking and difficult stage. 
um, you know, even and even when you're young in high school, and you know, a lot of us remember that first really bad breakup. It's really hard. It's really hard on the psyche. It's really hard on everyone who everyone else who was involved. There's always a lot of collateral damage when you have a big breakup where it doesn't just affect those two people. It affects all the people that were involved, the friend groups, the families, the loved ones, the you know, the coaches of the kids and the just, uh, it's, it's challenging. I mean, Matthew and I have both been through divorces and it's sticky and it's, it gives in, in that, that the, it lingers. Those, those situations linger on and on until, you know, time and patience, until time and patience swoop in and, and work their magic. Um, you know, all the phases. So that's the last phase of the coming apart is the termination. So to recap with those, with the, um, coming apart phase you have the differentiating where the pressure start to get to people and they start to realize that they are actually two different people the circumscribing where they begin to build the boundaries and then you've got the stagnation the avoidance and the termination so all these phases all these phases are very real and they're very necessary because not all couples need to persist forever and i think you know i know that i've been through many relationships that definitely were not meant to be forever But the good thing is about any kind of relationship cycle is that you learn so much about yourself and you learn a lot about how to be with someone. And so even though it's hard at the time, a breakup is always hard. It's something, if you take it as a lesson and not a mistake, then you are a better partner for the next person. All right, so next we're gonna talk about the good news. the good news. If there is desire for both parties to work on the relationship and to maintain it long term, I'm about to offer some knowledge on how you can do that. There are many, many couples who last a lifetime, and so obviously they're doing something right. And um, there's this really cool graphic um, about the NAPS relational model that shows, it's like a pie, it's like a pie chart type graphic. And so you've got the coming up, you got, you got the coming together and the com- coming apart, right? Well, there's some of these that overlap. So for instance, um, the initiation of the relationship, the experimenting and the intensifying, that only happens when you're coming together. You can never get back to that heightened level of intensification ever. So that only happens when you're coming together. Similarly, the um, stagnating, avoiding, and terminating only happens if you're truly falling apart. Um, And then there's these other things in the middle, the integrating, bonding, differentiating, and circumscribing, and those can continuously ebb and flow, and those can actually make a relationship stronger if you kind of polish your skills with them. So if you look up Knapp's relational model, and some of this this is in my show notes if you need to refer, but the pie chart is really helpful to see how, where the relationship comes from, the, the middle part of it, and then when it falls apart, but the middle part of it, they're hard things, but but they work to make the relationship stronger in the long run. And so, um, so to get to a place where you this relationship that that you love and you honor and and you want to work on it, you have to get to something which is called stabilization. And stabilization is maintaining a relationship by continuing to revise your communication and your ways of interacting so that it reflects it actually reflects the changing needs of each other you know i mean if it's done well then life's changes are more easily enjoyed when viewed as a natural part of life cycle instead of something that you think is trying to come in and like harm you or mess up your life 
And so when both people can be on board and the relationship stabilizes, it can be such a beautiful, authentic, you know, happy thing. And you'll hear time and time again that communication is everything. You literally cannot over-communicate with someone that you love, especially your life partner. I mean, no one's going to say, like, why are you communicating with me so much? I mean, they may get annoyed if you talk a lot. I mean, hey, it's fine. People like to talk. But as far as, like, communicating your needs and communicating what you're trying to do in the relationship, you can't really overdo that. And so along with communication, there are a couple other boundaries that can strengthen a relationship. And so some of these, and this, and this is all based on studies like, you know, studies of people and study of relationships, is making time for intimacy. And that doesn't just mean sexual intimacy. It means holding hands, you know, sitting on the same couch, um, you know, saying I love you every night before you go to bed, like things that mean something and things that matter. I mean, sometimes when all the kids are here, I'll realize that, Maybe I haven't held Matthew's hand or given him a hug in a while, and I, um, you know, I make a point to do that. Along with making sure that you find some time for intimacy is finding some common ground. Um, you know, if a lot of times when you have common interests, that is really strengthening for a relationship. So maybe you both like to hike, maybe you both like to run, maybe you both like to watch movies or go to trivia night. Um, maybe you just simply enjoy having coffee in the morning and watching the news. Anything that's just a common interest, common ground that you guys can share and spend quality time together, that is really important and that is something that, that really strengthens a relationship. Um, another thing is getting outside support. So for instance, um, you know, in that intensifying phase, you're just all into each other that you don't really care what anyone around you is doing, like family and friends. But you get to a point where you realize that this one partner can't do everything for you. And that's when you really need to get some outside support. Make the time for your friends. You know, go have lunch with a family member. Um, pull in that outside support so that you don't feel so much, you're not putting so much pressure on this other person and that person's not feeling pressure to to be your one and only and you also aren't, aren't feeling that pressure. Um, another thing is having hard conversations when necessary. You know, sometimes there might be something really bothering you and it's just such a hard conversation and you really are dreading it, but if you just have it, then things will be so much better. Matthew doesn't love having hard conversations, but I do because I just have to get it out of my head. And once we have them, he feels a lot better. And of course I feel a lot better because we just get things out in the open and we finally figure out like what's been bothering me, what's been bothering him or like the uncomfortable awkwardness because one of us is unsure about something. So hard conversations are very, very important. Um, and back to the common ground. Sometimes, you know, you get to a point in a relationship where you can't even remember what you had in common. Well, if you kind of go back to those early days when things were intensifying and you think about the things that you did back then, recreate those moments. Like do something that you did back then that really kind of ignited that fire. And I think you'll see that it really does reignite the fire when you go back to that, to those initial days when things were really fun. Um, and then another one is, you know, being truly interested in, in the other person's goals and dreams. I've been in relationships where I've had big goals and dreams and the other person just totally poo-pooed them, you know, or, you know, he was just, you know, like, oh yeah, that sounds really bizarre, far-fetched. And, th and then it just kind of deflates your excitement. So granted, there has to be some caution when you, when it comes to like really extreme goals and dreams. But, um, but you know, I think that being supportive of one another is huge and is another way to support each other. Okay, so Matthew and I, we're always working on our relationship. The coming together phase for him and I, it really was truly magical. 
And I, I just want to give you a few things that shine brightly in my, our relationship. And I think that if you guys really think about it, you guys and gals, with your relationships, you can think of the things that really, really make them meaningful and fun and exciting. But for us, um, we're always kind and respectful. Like neither one of us are big fighters. Like we're not people who enjoy arguing. So we can be kind of avoidant when something is bothering us. And so I've learned that when I'm, when I start to be avoidant, sometimes I need a little bit of alone time, but if I'm being too avoidant, that's when I know I need to have a hard conversation. And if he's kind of being avoidant, then I will lean in and make him talk about like what's bothering him. But the good thing is we're both really kind and respectful toward each other. And that's, that's really important to us because we're never mean or hateful or say mean things to each other. That just is totally negative and toxic. Um, and another thing is that, you know, he and I are both dreamers. Like we're always working on the next big thing and the next big vision. And the fact that both of us are like this is really helpful because we get it and, and we and we hold each other accountable. But when think when one of our dreams seems like really, really far fetched, we're good to be about, okay, well let's think about this again. Is that gonna be realistic or what's the time frame here? But it's just really fun for me to be with someone else who is kind of like a visionary or an innovator because we're always coming up with fun ideas and, and like dreams and goals and helping each other tweak them and, and mold them into something that can truly manifest. Um, okay, Whew. that was a lot, but I hope you found it interesting. I, you know, whatever phase you're currently in in your relationship, it's sometimes helpful to look at it objectively through a model like this one. And because we can get really tangled up in our emotions and sometimes when we're super tangled up in our emotions we can't even we can't even like understand what's going on in a relationship so I feel it's very important to kind of understand that there are these phases that we all go through it's kind of like the phases of grief and when I was going through grief I didn't really like think about it that much but now as I'm watching other people go through grief it actually helps me be really supportive because I can completely see what stage of grief they're going through so even if these phases of relationships aren't helpful for you, maybe they're helpful for a good friend, or maybe you're seeing one of these phases go on in a friendship of yours with their partner and it's bothering you or it's or it's making you happy and you want to commend them, or if it's bothering you, then maybe you can see what phase it is and kind of give them some suggestions or advice. So as I go through February, each, uh, each episode, I wanna end with a quote. I love quotes. And um, it's going to be a quote that I that that I found during the week and that sort of impact or that did impact me and I want to share with you all. And so today's quote is: Focus on what you know to be true instead of what you fear could happen. And I love this quote because I feel like a lot of times we instead of just looking around and like focusing on what's obviously happening, we start worrying about things that probably aren't going to happen. So as you go through your week. I want you to focus on what you know to be true. What you know to be true. I mean, look around. Like, I mean, you know, you're safe. You're, you know, your people are safe. The sun is shining. The coffee is fresh. You know, focus on what you know to be true instead of what you fear to happen. Because when our fears are guiding our lives, our lives can become completely miserable. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the weekend. And... I'm looking forward to a month full of really great content and I hope you enjoy it as well. And I will see you on the next episode of She Breathes. If you are enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing so you don't miss an episode. 
My goal is to share information and inspiration so that women feel seen, heard, and empowered. Also, if you know someone who would benefit from this podcast, please share. Lastly, if you have a topic or idea that you want to hear more about, or if you want me to expound upon a topic I've previously discussed, please let me know. Message me on any of my social media platforms or email at susanna.shetley at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.